Welcome to the Sisters in Crime Writers Podcast. Everyone has a unique writing journey, so join us for conversations about those journeys from the writers themselves. is the executive director of Sisters in Crime, and I am delighted to welcome R. Franklin James to the podcast this week. R. Franklin James grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area. A UC Berkeley grad, she cultivated a different type of writing, legislation and public policy. After a career of political advocacy, she returned to her love of writing. Her debut novel, The Fallen Angels Book Club, was the first of six books in her Hollis Morgan Mysteries. The series has been made into Lifetime movies. Her latest series, The Joanna Hudson Mysteries, opens with book one, The Inheritance, which received a publisher's weekly must-read review. Book two, Look Twice, was released this past August. James resides in Northern California, and I am so happy to have this conversation with her. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Julie. Thank you. I love talking to writers about writing, uh, and I'm also looking forward to talking to you a little bit about the whole Lifetime movie (laughs) um, opportunity. But let's start where I always start on this podcast. When did you say to yourself, I want to write a novel? Well, I I think I was eight years old. (laughs) I was in the attic with Elaine, my best friend from grammar school. And we would write these rambling tales of pirates and damsels in distress and and westerns and things we knew absolutely nothing about. And uh, we went on for ages and pages of binder paper, mind you. So, uh, and then, of course, put it down once I got into high school and um, didn't pick it up again and seriously until after I was married. And I think... um, Talking to, I had twin sons, and so talking to the twins became rather baffling. <laughs> and then I said, I had a story in mind. And then I started writing that story, and it's still in my bottom desk floor. <laughs> but one day it's coming out. And, um, but that's how I got started. I, I always loved storytelling. My mother uh, actually uh, read us The Thousand and One Arabian Nights, the, mm. the cleaned up version. <laughs> and uh, so every night we would have a different story and I would just be enthralled. And that's how the seeds got planted. So when you decided to write that first novel, did you, had you taken classes or did you, how did you develop the craft of figuring out how to tell this, how, how to write the novel? Um, I think in, in Berkeley, they teach you English 1A was sort of like the basics of English. And you get to read a lot of American writers and and European writers. And from there, I said, the storytelling just grasped me again. And I said, okay, I'm going to take what they call a focus class. And I took up, I think it was fiction writing or novel writing one and worked my way through novel writing four. And then you start to learn the craft. Mm -hmm. At that, I really, in my mind, fell in love with the craft, actually. The, the whole structure of a novel, which led me to my second hobby, which was puzzles. You know, I love uh, puzzles. And so structuring the novel so that it had a, um, a how can I say, the cliffhangers. Mm-hmm. And that's what craft did for me, learning the craft. And then I overlaid my story. Sometimes it, it, I tried doing it the other way, doing the story first and then the craft. And it just didn't. And I think that's why that story is still in the bottom of my drawer. Because um, it didn't quite work. For me, it was the craft first and then learning the craft and then writing the story on top of it. You know, I think that for many writers, um, the craft is the hardest part because it's, you know, it is the how you tell the arcs and the, you know, see, and there's so many ways of doing it. But crime writing um, has a particular layer of crafts and building puzzles. Was it always going to be crime writing for you or were you interested in other types of writing as well? No, it was always, uh, and it's interesting, you asked me, no one's ever asked me that question. 
I've always, it's always been mystery. And I think it's because, as I said, I love puzzles. I love uh, not knowing all the answers and trying to figure things out and seeing what's not there. That's always been a draw for me. So it's always mystery. Always mysteries. What about, did you read mysteries as a, as a child? I mean, was it always your favorite genre to read as well? Or Absolutely. Nancy Drew, move over. I just knew I could write like that. If given the chance, Hardy Boys, Nancy Drew, Suspense. You know, I can remember reading Nurse Barton. Uh, what is it? Sue Barton, student nurse. <laughs> and she was always having some trauma in the, in the hospital wards. And then I read around, you know, a lot of Anne Rand and, and uh, Stephen King, which was edging more toward uh, horror or science fiction. And... But I came back to mystery and I wanted to say, take the best of those, the suspense novels, and, and wrap it into mystery. Because to me, you can do, when you're writing for story and for craft, you can pretty much weave into it romance, weave in sense of humor. And your characters take dimension, you become dimensional. And uh, that's the challenge that I, I still find to this day. Yeah. So how long between starting to really say, I want to write this novel, and you get the one in the draw. You think most writers have the one in the draw. But between that and, and getting that first novel published. Okay, my first novel was actually published in 2013, and it took me five years to write it. Between that and the 20 years in the, <laughs> since the one was in the drawer, I was writing um, uh, pieces that were mostly short stories mm-hmm. or unfinished mysteries and um i'm not really naturally a short story writer but every once in a while i stumble on an idea and it fits perfectly so i I write it up but um i like the the development of the arc in a a novel so i would say it took a while but i was learning i was talking to other writers i had found sisters in crime starting to build my network and what's, uh, for me, one of the most important things I discovered in the, during that time between the drawer and getting published was my critique group. And having people read my work and, and I would say completely misinterpret what I said. <laughs> but they were right on. They were absolutely right on. Because uh, that to me was the most valuable thing of all, was having my critique group in that period. Of, it was 10 years, I think. It's hard to find that critique group, though, that's the right fit and and that doesn't that builds you up and, 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 you know, energizes you instead of um, taking away. How did you find the group? They found me. I was at a Sisters in Crime meeting, a chapter meeting, and uh, one of them came up to me and I had we were reading pieces. I mean, meetings. We would read someone's piece. And so I had volunteered to read mine. And she came up to me and she said, uh. Would you like to join our critique group? Oh, that's nice. It that's was. great. No, and we're together to this day. And I think it's been, it's been almost 20 years. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. It is. And do you, do you read, you know, how, how does it work? Cause I've been, we've been, I've been talking to this about about few people and some of them it's, it's mind blowing how much work they all do in their critique group. How, how does it work with yours? We meet on a monthly basis. There are one, two, five of us. One person can, we have one person who isn't really writing right now, but she's such an excellent editor. Nobody cares. <laughs> and because I, I love to have her read my words. What um, someone is working on, they have a cozy. They're a cozy writer. I'm not. Mm-hmm. Uh, another one is a historical. Another one is just getting started into writing. She's just getting started into writing herself. And so... But those views are so valuable. I can't mm-hmm. tell you. One person in our critique group is a fanatic with punctuation and grammar. And she goes, you're missing your commas. You're missing your... <laughs> and she goes, it doesn't say what you think it does. She goes, that comma should be there because otherwise it's really this. And she's right on. You know, wow. um, so everybody brings something to the table. Once a month we meet. Uh, if we have pages, we usually say, OK, I have pages for our meeting. And then they get distributed by that Sunday week of, and then everybody reads. And then, uh, especially since we've gone to Zoom now, uh, so everyone reads the work. And then by the time you come to the meeting, however, 
you go through your critique and you say, okay, on page four, you said this, it's just the opposite of what you said on page seven, you know, and that type of thing. And, and each person takes a, um, a view and, and provide comments. And then I say, thank you so very much. And I'm, I, and I have my stuff ready to go for the next time. That's great. That's yeah. great. And you lift each other up. I mean, that's, that's, you know, when somebody gets published or has their moment that that group is already there to, to celebrate. Absolutely. That's the biggest, you know, you're having your cheery cheering squad right there is yeah. has been so valuable. We're very, we've become very close. Yeah. Community is such an important part of this. Um, and you don't realize, I didn't realize that at the beginning, you know, that I thought, well, you just sitting alone in a room and then when you get published, you sort of emerge and find your people, but you should find them when you're first sitting down because it makes such a difference. Yeah. I, I think too, it helps to, because you have to give as well. Mm-hmm. I here are my pages, please correct them and make them beautiful. I say, oh, no, I have to do the same thing. And that means I have to think about what I'm reading. And actually, just that process of looking at someone else's work and saying, oh, yeah, that's what I need to do, or that's what I don't need to do, yeah. you know, is very, very valuable, too. It's a really a very good two-way street. I highly recommend critique. Um, and you mentioned that people are writing in different genres. So how would you, what subgenre would you put your books in? My agency is traditional. Traditional. <laughs> traditional uh, amateur sleuth. And do you, um, so you've got cozy, you've got historical, you've got different um, different types. I mean, do you find it interesting and helpful to also look at how they put the book together or build characters or things? Um, and can you steal from that? Or, uh, you know, because it's all, it's all the same, but there's also some differences in different subgenres. I Yes, and you're absolutely. I, what I'm thinking of immediately is the cozy, our cozy uh, person, and well, I, I struggle a little bit trying to understand it. You know, trying to say it's it's supposed to be funny. <laughs> you know, it's a, it's not. It's light. It's light. Yeah. And and uh, and I can remember the first time that I said, you know what, I can use this because I to me cozies can border on slapstick a little bit. You know, mm-hmm. it's not, but the good stuff is real life and the woman in our critique group um i'm deliberately not saying her name just in case she's going to listen to this uh but she'll know who she is uh (laughs) she has this art of weaving in her mystery but it's very very real and when it happens these people are just who they are they're people in our society who stumble who say the wrong thing who have crazy kids and a rabbit dog you know and um and so she's able to weave that in there. In my instance, though, so I took that aspect and I said, you know what? Mystery should not be a slog fest. Mm-hmm. And if I have a multi-dimensional character, having that little edge of humor or sarcasm or double uh, entendre, it works, you know. And I just and I write that in there. And it, I would not have done that without reading her writing. Yeah, that's great. Um, do you? So you wrote policy. I mean, you you yeah. used a different part of your brain. Um, and I talked to, you know, journalists and other folks. Did you have to unlearn some things when you went to fiction because you were so used to, I mean, it's still telling a story, but but it's a very different skill set. Did you have to unlearn things? Absolutely. I used to write those obtuse definitions and uh, explanations in your voter's guide, you know, one thing <laughs> like, is this a yes or is this a no? That was me. So, and poor lawyer, but it was like, uh, that was what I did. So when I retired, I, before I retired, because I, um, I had, was writing my first book when I was going into retirement, working on breaks and lunch hours and things like that. But, uh, I had to like say it started, it was sounded like a contract. I think I took a whole year just trying not to sound like a narrative, you know, trying to sound like fiction, you know, and, and that took a while. It really did. That right brain didn't kick in. I got the story down, but I didn't get the tone. I didn't get the, mm-hmm. the background. And mm-hmm. but so when I did um, retire, I was able to go back and said, Oh, this is awful. You know? And, but I was able at that point to say, okay, we can do this. Yeah, start. we can. What's the best piece of writing advice you've got or you, that you give? Never give up. 
I, I can't tell you how many times people told me, you'll never get an agent, you'll never find a publisher. At that time, self-publishing was not as popular as it is now. Yeah. So it was like, it was a whole list of things why I could not be a, a writer, a writer of any merit anyway. And um, and I said, no, it's like, just never give up. I go like, okay. I remember too, one time I had said, I'm not going to write. This is just like no win situation. Why am I putting myself through this? This is not going to work. And I stopped for about a week. And then I said, oh, well, <laughs> might as well go ahead and write. I can't think of anything else to do. I was miserable that week. Yeah. Well, writing and publishing are different too, right? I mean, it's the writing gives you joy. The publishing is the business and, and, you know, there's joy there too, but it's also a lot of it's out of your control. Um, And what's the the worst piece of writing advice you've heard for yourself or for other people? My agent told me when I first signed with her that men would never buy mysteries written by women. That was the worst piece of advice I've ever gotten and that was from my agents because she said, that's why you have J.D. Robb and P.D. James and, and J.K. Rowling. You know, they know their marketing edge is not to portray yourself as a female writing mystery. So it's going to be like, oh, it would be uninteresting or flat or what. I don't know what guys think anymore or what my agent thought guys think is a bad idea. But I was in a, a book signing and this man came up to me and he said, you know, I never realized, he goes, how did he put it? He says, I really enjoyed your book. I didn't realize it was written by a woman. I was like, uh, okay. <laughs> Is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? <laughs> but it was, it was amazing. But I still think that's the worst advice anybody can get. Yeah. I wonder if it has some truth, though. I mean, that, that men won't read books as much written by women. Do you think? I, I, I don't know. I don't. I have not heard any statistics on it, so I really don't know if there's any veracity to that. Um, I think that um, I think that's like saying, what, "Do women meet, read romances by men?" And men change their names. They do, yeah. So they can write romances. You know, yeah. I was surprised at that. <laughs> uh, so I go like, everybody's being fictionalized, but um, I don't know if it's true or not. I think, I think though, I starting out again, I probably use my real name, my first yeah. name, yeah. which is Ray. <laughs> I know, and 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 actually, could you know? <laughs> um, yeah, it's int- that's interesting and and disheartening, but hopefully things are changing. <laughs> yeah. Do you have the same agent now? No, I don't. <laughs> that's no, I- something that happens, though, that I think people need to hear about, you know, the changing agents is sort of not uncommon um, as you're building your career. That's true. I think you, that's when I said never give up. And if I would add anything, no, that would be about it. Never give up is definitely my biggest thing. When I parted with my agent, we parted on good terms, but she wanted me to write more cozies. And I'm just not a cozy writer. I just can't, I just don't see the world that way. And so, uh, so we just said, you know what, I, I really can't push out a cozy book and I'm wasting your time and mine. And so we parted, as I said, good ways. Fortunately, my publisher um, said, you know what, we'll keep you. We'll keep you on without your agent. And uh, I have done very well that way. Wow. That's great. You know, for folks listening, I mean, traditional mysteries, cozies are sort of like a a descendant of the traditional mystery in some ways. And sometimes people, when they say cozy, they'll say Agatha Christie, and she's not really a cozy reader writer. She's a traditional uh, writer. Um, and so traditionals, cozies will have, um, you know, no extreme violence on the page and, and no sex on the page and, um, you know, amateur sleuth, but traditionals can have those as well. They just, it, it's a different tone and the tone can be a little bit darker um so it's a it's a distinction worth knowing about as you're writing your book and figuring out what market uh you know it might fit in which shouldn't be the only thing you're thinking about when you're writing but it it is it is something to consider you have to remember you're writing for people to read i mean you're not otherwise be in your stay in the bottom of the desk but when you're writing for an audience that's the challenge i think um but writing your story to say that it's interesting enough to attract an audience that well, mm-hmm. I think that what I'm telling you 
is a great story and you're really going to enjoy it. But I have to write that story so that it's a great story and you really enjoy it. You know, it's right. not, you can't just pull it out of the, you have to, you have to write for an audience. And uh, sometimes I was helping um, someone from Iowa and they were, uh, they had written, I don't know, it was like over a hundred thousand words, over a hundred thousand words. And it was, I wasn't, I would, I, wouldn't even know what to call it. It was like a suspense turned memoir turned uh, cozy, maybe. But it was about the small town and how how the small town was dealing with an issue. But they went through every street. They said, "Well, you have to turn down, uh, you know, L Street, then make a right on R, and then oh, when you come to the stoplight, Susan saw that." You know, the, that old tree that had been there since the beginning of World War II had fallen down. I'm going like, oh, my God. I said, you know, you've got to get us out of there. Nobody cares. Yeah. <laughs> it's not your story. You, you know, and they refused. They absolutely refused to change it. They said, no, this is the way it really is. I'm not. This is not uh, making this up. I go like, oh, OK. But you, to some people, you just can't convince. No. You, you're not writing for an audience. You're writing for yourself, basically. Right. Right. Well, and it sounds like maybe that person um, had had gone through a literary, um, you know, program. And, and so I think sometimes literary writers and, and, you know, Kate Flora always says literary is just another genre, but um, <laughs> um, <laughs> they get in, you know, that gets in the way as well. Uh, you know, that's not, and I don't think crime fiction obviously is lesser than anything but but you know you gotta you gotta tell people the story pretty fast in crime fiction you gotta keep them wanting to read um and you also bring up a great point that you have to pay attention to the audience but you need to enjoy what you're writing because if you if if your agent says you gotta write a cozy because that's what's selling and you don't want to write a cozy that's not going to work i mean you could pretend it does but it's not going to work you need to sort of love what you're writing as well julia i always tell myself i write what i love to read yeah you know yeah. And that that's that craft that structure i really get a big kick out of of structure of my writing like when to end it how long should the chapters be uh how long to get into someone's head versus the, the the third person objective. I hope I'm not getting too technical, but um, so that to me is the challenge of writing that I really enjoy, and and telling my the story as an overlay. Uh, that's that's it for me. And you've got you you're writing your second series now. Are you finding that starting a second series, you've learned a lot from the first series, so that you can sort of plan it out or think it through a little bit better or were you already so organized that the first series <laughs> worked perfectly? <laughs> I think that one of the hardest thing I, things I had to do was to, in my second, my first series, I had been, been in this, this protagonist's head, Hollis, this is Hollis Morgan's head for almost 13 years. Yeah. When, when you look at the lead, the lead up to the first book, and it was hard to say, but I knew I had come to an end because otherwise I was going to start repeating, you know, storylines. And I, that drives me crazy when people do that. And so I said, no, she's gone. She's gone through her full arc. You know, we all, who knows what's going to happen to her tomorrow, but today, you know, she's, she's fulfilled what she always wanted. And that's mm -hmm. how it's been. I wanted to end that way. And all the other character arcs had, had come to a conclusion. It took me, oh, almost a year to get out of her head. Mm -hmm. I, had, I had an idea for a new story and a new a series, but to get out of her head, her voice was still there. And I did not want Joanna Hudson, my second series protagonist, to sound like that. I wanted mm -hmm. to read, oh, no, that's not the same person. This is another person altogether. And so, but it took about a year for that to happen. And then as I was working on the outline, I gradually heard Joanna. Joanna came through. And then I was able, this doesn't sound like it's a nutcase. But anyway, uh, Joanna came through and I wrote the first book and I was really pleased. And then book two came out this year and I'm working on book three. 
That's awesome. And so talk about that process, um, because I, I find it fascinating. Um, and I hear what you're saying, but I think that, that there is that these characters do live inside of you <laughs> while you're working on them or they visit you and getting somebody else to come in is challenging. But you also said you outline, do you outline? Yeah. I outline, uh, and it comes from, I think, writing those God off a voter bulletins. But anyway, <laughs> uh, I, um, I outline, I used to outline the full story. Now I outline to the middle. And this helps me get started, but it also, if there's any doubts, I know I can always go back to the outline. I may not follow it after line one, but if I, that's why I don't have writer's block. I always have my outline as my spine. But I write, I outline to the middle, and then I write the end. And what I do then is go back to the middle, and then I put in all those red herrings and clues and um, and characters that I need to get to the end. And so wow. I, yeah, I, so I really don't, that helps me with writer's block, but it also helps me to know where I'm going. I don't, mm-hmm. I stay to my story. I love that. And how, how involved is that initial outline? It's more, I do it by a chapter. So I'll say chapter one, scene, A, B, C, D, then chapter two, A, B. So it's just one liners. It's not, I don't go into a lot of detail, but it, it, it's just enough direction to uh, get me going in the morning. And how did you, uh, when you're writing your series, your second series, how did you differentiate with your characters and setting and everything else? Because I can imagine you really wanted to, you, you need to shift so that you have a different angle. The, absolutely, because I didn't want to disappoint my readers. So that was that year that I was telling you about between breaking with one and starting with the other, I started saying, okay, developing the character, what's the hook? That was the first mm-hmm. thing I had to get, actually. It was the hook. How, what am I going to talk? Let's talk about a genealogist who does more than genealogy, you know? And because uh, I always look at um, something that's possible, but unpredictable. Mm-hmm. I want to be predictable, but it can't be so off the charts that it would never be possible either. So I try, I go there. And I said, well, and then I said, well, what could go wrong? <laughs> and I tried to and I take it, I take it from there. I love that. Possible but unpredictable is just such a great way to think about what to do with your character. I mean, that's <laughs> and genealogy. I, I'm sure everyone here listening to this um, has heard stories from people who've had relatives who've done one of those DNA test, tests and found out that they've got a relative they didn't expect or something happened. And it's just, there's so much possibility for conversation and story there. Absolutely. I'll just give you a little tip. What I found out is when people want to know their genealogy, for a lot more than what my, who my ancestors are. There's a, if you look at, I'm looking at it from the criminal element, but there's, uh, there's reasons why, you know, uh, people search. Yeah. Uh, the obvious ones. Yeah. Kind of, it's, it's all a little spooky, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> um, so you, your first series became um, Lifetime Movies. Yeah. Did, how did, that happened. I mean, obviously, that sort of thing is unexpected. I mean, y'all, you could dream of it, but it, it's unexpected. But, but what was that journey like in, uh, for you? I would love to say I had an agent who beat the bushes because she loved my book so much. She knew that the lifetime would love it too. That didn't happen. <laughs> um, I got an email. Literally, I got an email one day. I always hate to tell the story because I don't want to discourage anyone. But I got an email one day, and it said, "Hey." Um, we're interested in, uh, we, we've read your series. We're interested in making it into a movie. If, to, uh, if you're interested, have your publisher contact us. I thought it was spam. Yeah. <laughs> I said, oh, yeah, right. <laughs> you know? And so um, I was still writing, finishing up book six. And, um, and it had gone, actually it had gone, the uh, pages had gone to the publisher, so they had books in. And so I said, okay. Um, and I told my publisher, and so she ran it to Brown, and she said, Ray, she goes, they're legit. 
they're in Canada. They 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 are legit studio. They they have they do good stuff, and so they do some Hallmark. They did some Lifetime, and they did a lot with uh, Netflix. So uh, I said, "Wow, okay." And at that point, Julie, I have to tell you, I was just it was like an out of body experience because I was clueless as to what that means. It's like if someone said, "Oh, you just won," you know, the Powerball. Oh, okay. You know, yeah. <laughs> it was just so much. And I, cause I never expected it for myself. I never even fathomed, I don't, you know, going, seeing my work up on the screen. And so from there, the agents, everybody got an agent. And so the business side of, of the world took over. And mm-hmm. I just sat back because what I found out later is, uh, is that the writer is like the last person they contact, you know, like, You've done your job. You've got the story out. And so uh, this was at toward the end of COVID, mm-hmm. like in the middle end of COVID. So we were dealing with that. We were doing all Zoom meetings with the studio heads, the director, my agent, my publisher, me. It was like eight people, the marketing people. And we're going through rolling this thing out. And I, there were so many terms in the contract. I didn't even understand them. I I would contact the agent and I said, what is this mean? And where, you know, because everybody thinks there's like big dollars. And to yeah. some extent, like there's the option and you get, that's like an advance, right? Yeah. You get for a book, you get an option. And with that, then I said, okay. And then you could see, well, if this option goes longer than um, it'll be this, you'll get an option renewal. And then you just don't hear from anybody if, after that. If they're not, if they haven't produced it by then, they're not going. Yeah. So um, this is what, my agent said but she uh i can i will say her name because she is so fantastic susan shulman is a new york agent she did the english patient she did gambit wow. she did a tremendous number of really good stuff and she knows her contracts and so she says i'll i'll take you through she goes hold my hand we'll go through this together and uh i was i was silent <laughs> Because I was just like a bystander. I have to say the, that the whole experience, of, from what I understand from people who have and still are going through this experience, was fairly fast and fairly um, easy for me. Because I didn't have to do anything. And then I realized that they didn't want me to do anything. Right. I, so they wanted me to step back. They did let me see the scripts. You know, that uh, came through. Uh, it was two movies were made from the six books, two movies were made. Mm-hmm. And so um, they let me see the scripts. I got to say, oh, it's not going to work because we're in California and you're in Pennsylvania. But anyway, uh, so doing those, some of the, just to clean up on that end, uh, I did not have any say in the cast. Mm-hmm. And I did not have, I didn't have any say in the script other than to point out what would not work for legal purposes. And so um, I didn't know what I was getting at the end. I, I never saw the end script. I never saw, I saw casting right before they went to, to start uh, taping. And so I said, okay. Um, I also didn't realize my book had gone, had gone to bid. So I had Netflix, um, Oprah, um, Lifetime, A&E, and Amazon bidding wow. on taking my books to film. That was something. And I, in the industry, I didn't realize like, how does that work? You just put it like in a newspaper ad or something. And evidently they have uh, the agents say, okay, I've got, it's literally like an auction house. And, it, and they say, okay, these books, we really think these are great. You can only want, and it says, okay, I'll bid this, the different comp- uh, studios bid on the book. So um, brain power we knew was going to do the taping, but we didn't know who's going to be the producer, the person with the money, the person who actually had it, from beginning to end, and it turned out to be Lifetime. A Lifetime wow. domestic A&E for global. So again, I'm going like, oh, okay, because I'm just like clueless. They invited me up to Canada to see the taping. I met all the cast who were absolutely fantastic. But the thing that touched my heart the most, they said, but for you, we wouldn't be here. Oh. And that just touched my heart. You know, if it wasn't yeah. for you, we wouldn't be here. Yeah. And I go, you have employed over 100 people. You have wow. these sets, this is, you know, it was just, that part to me was worth every 
penny, minute of angst, it was worth it all to hear that. If, yeah. it, wasn't, if it wasn't for you, we wouldn't be here. Oh, that's so exciting. Yeah. What a story, too. I mean, I know, um, you know, an email out of the blue and then, you know, fast forward to everything else. Yeah. I get the director. Like, why did you choose me? Why? Yeah. What about these books caught your attention? And she says, you're your protagonist. She was, in, she was individual in that she was unique. She was mm-hmm. not your typical protagonist. She had flaws. And, uh, and yet she fought through her flaws and to the art. That's that art we we're talking about. And she also, you could see her change. You know, you could see her evolve as a character. And she was very smart, very witty. Mm-hmm. Uh, so much for Cozy. See, that's why I picked up the Cozy. And so um, she said it made it easy. The scenes were short and tight. I had a lot of cliffhangers for commercials. <laughs> I had a lot of uh, areas where they, the setting itself was simple. It was just a sit- urban setting and they didn't mm-hmm. have fields or, you know, World War I sites. And so uh, it was inexpensive, I think, from their, from their standpoint. Mm-hmm. And so with that then, I said, oh, okay, um, got it. You know, they, wow. they were just wonderful. That's so thrilling. Um, you mentioned earlier that in the last 10 years, since you've been published, um, you know, the publishing world has changed. Even things like the streaming services options you were just talking about, that's a new thing. I mean, you know, I, I'm losing track of time and where everything is, but that's in the past two or three years that all of a sudden there are all these other ways that your your stories can get out there. Um, do you think this is an exciting time for being published and, and, you know, as we're talking about different points of view, different characters, um, you know, a wider scope of what we're trying to do. How do you feel about what's going on right now? I absolutely think that books and writing, whatever genre, uh, have become, are more popular now than they were 10 years ago, primarily because of COVID. When people were forced, they couldn't go anywhere. So you can either watch television or read, you know, or read what you're watching on television, either way. And I think people took up reading or writing. Mm-hmm. So uh, that, I, I think that focus has driven reading to the forefront. And I, I think that videos and, and uh, well, streaming is with us forever. But probably it'll be something else in another 10 years, but for now it's streaming. I think that people have sort of realized it's self-entertainment. I don't have to leave my house to be entertained. Yeah. You know, I can um, zoom in on any world in my book right. and zoom in on any world to a certain extent on the, on the screen. And I think that this is a good time to be a writer. Self-published has gone away because there's some fantastic writers who have self-published yep. and, um, and some terrible ones who are published. So, uh, I, uh, who are traditionally published, I mean, uh, so I, I don't think, I think it's just something's there for everybody now. Yeah. Yeah. You, you're so right. Indie publishing has allowed more people and more voices, um, to, to have an opportunity to get out there on their own terms as well. Um, as I'm talking to some indie published authors, like, no, I wanted to have more control over my career. So that's why I went this route. And I applaud that. I mean, uh-huh. I think that's important. Yeah. Yeah. And there are ways to do it. You, you can find a formatter now. You can find someone who can, who can do your cover. And so they even make the compilation of your, of your work. It's easier. So there's yeah. a lot. It's like the world is feeding it. And so, uh, yeah, step up and eat. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And and I think you're right about um, more readers uh, because of of COVID. And I I think for... um, Cozies, I also think for traditional, for, for things that didn't tax people a lot, (laughs) um, it's, it's kind of a golden age, you know, I mean, in mysteries, the justice prevails and I think people need that right now. So I think that that part helps as well. What an interesting publishing journey you've had so far. I mean, (laughs) I know, and I'm still on the path. 
Yeah, I, absolutely. I have, um, I'm going to finish. I've got more in this series to go. And, and yet I feel like I don't want to be, I, I'm not a person who can just produce a book after book after book after book. I have to like have some kind of feeding period where my brain is working from something from the outside. And so I'm still thinking about what's book four going to be. Uh, usually I eavesdrop. <laughs> I pick up myself from eavesdropper at the line at the grocery store. Uh, and um, I go like, oh, that's interesting. Like, what's yeah. going on? <laughs> <laughs> or I, I watch people in um, in restaurants, and I try to decide first date. They're breaking up. What's going on? <laughs> you know? And and that helps. It, that was a hard part about COVID is that you know writers do need to get out there and see other people. <laughs> um, yeah. Do you think you'll ever write a standalone? I have written a book that, since it's only one, it is currently a standalone. I think, if anything, I'll go back to that. I I could write a standalone. It might be kind of long, you know, mm-hmm. uh, because I do like the, like I said, the full arc. And I don't, to me, it's like you pick up a book and it's, it's done. On the yeah. other hand, um, could I have a, have a storyline that would just need, you know, 300 pages. Yeah. Gee, Julie, that's an interesting idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, I also, as you're talking about arcs, I think it's it's an interesting thing to talk about because with series, you know, characters change in every book, but in a series, you can have three, four, five, six books where a character can really change and if you're if you can get all of them published you can sort of decide what that growth is going to be like and you could slow it down a little bit and you could develop other relationships and things um but you do need to have some idea of how that change is going to work um when you're planning a series or it's better to um right so that they don't stay stagnant yeah i had a character in the hollis morgan series and i i wrote it in my um Editor said, oh, it was something she, she caught in the developmental side. And she said, is, this is just a throwaway character. Said, well, maybe. And he came in book two and had never left. He was at, there at the end. In the very last scene, he was there. Yeah. So it's like they, they take on, for me, they take on their own life. And I am yeah. that person who wakes up, oh, I know who did it. <laughs> <laughs> I love that you write in, um, you write the ending. Do you write, this is just a, you know, on my interest. Do you write in Word or do you write in Scrivener or? Word. Wow. Yeah. So you're, you're somebody who moves things around and isn't afraid you're going to cut, paste, and lose anything? No, I'm saving every 15 seconds. What okay. Doing. Because I have lost one, I, it was one time somewhere years ago, but I lost I think it was like four or five pages. I almost cried. Yeah. Those are the best four or five pages I ever wrote. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> well, what do you, um, you, you know, as you're moving forward and you're, you keep learning as a writer, I'd imagine, um, what, what are you looking forward to as far as challenges with this new series? Or I'm, I, This will be the first time, I think, where I want to have a spinoff character that, uh, and I uh. never have thought about that. I'm not really, I don't think I was even wild about the idea, but this character is so strong. I'm thinking she needs her own series, you know? Wow. So I, that's what I'm thinking about. That's fun, isn't it? I mean, yeah. you know, do you ever think about taking characters from your first series and having them weave in it all or? Wow, they're so different, and it's such a different. Um, uh, Johanna Hudson was a lead, is a lawyer, mm-hmm. and, and excuse me, Hollis Morgan is the lawyer. Johanna is the genealogist. So they're kind of two different veins. Like, no, I don't think so. I no, yeah. I don't keep think so. keep the world separate. Keep, yeah, keep the world separate. Yeah, Ray, you also. Um, uh, volunteer a lot in the community. Um, and one of the things you do is, um, serving, uh, you know, on the board of Bouchercon and other, other things like that. Um, 
can you talk about the volunteerism and, and, you know, cause that's not easy work <laughs> um, and, and why that matters. For me, I have this thing about giving back mm -hmm. and that's why I volunteer because something is feeding me and I want to give it back so that other people, it's like paying it forward in mm -hmm. a way. And so, um, Bachikan, I first saw with Sisters in Crime, by the way. I came up the officer's leg in my chapter. And then um, I just fell in love with Sisters in Crime. So who wouldn't want to create a Christmas party or get a, a retreat going or establish book clubs? Because that's how you nourish the mystery genre, yeah. which I love. And so it wasn't like I was doing anything for people. I was doing it for myself. To me, volunteerism is for myself. I get the benefit of volunteering. And so with BachaCon, which was on a bigger plate, um, I said, I would love to hold a BachaCon in Sacramento. I must have been out of my mind. But anyway, <laughs> I would love to hold BachaCon. And five years from now, by the way, you bid, you bid five years out. It's like the Olympics. And so I said, but I just love the challenge. And then I got hooked by the challenge of it. The second hook were the people. I... It was so, I, I'll tear up even now. I had 15 people who said, I believe in you and I'll travel this road with you. And we pulled off Sacramento up until COVID shut down. It was such a crushing blow with yeah, all I, those years and all that work. I and can't we were, even imagine. Yeah, it was pretty, pretty bad. But everybody stood up and said, that's okay. We'll still have our dinner. We'll still have our, our committee dinner. And, um, they shined up until the very end. So uh, I got to stay on the board of, for, when you're um, put on a project plan, you get to stay on for one more year. Hopefully the mentor, other people are staying on there. And so I fell in love with the board and I said, I'd, to, I'd like to run for office. And so, um, and eventually I became chair. So uh, now I'm helping, trying to find places across the country that want to have the joy and the fun that I did. The, and just the people you meet alone. You, and I'm sure you know this with Sisters in Crime. The networking is unbelievable. unbelievable. And just how ordinary people are. I mean, I'm in the hallway with Lee Child. And we're yeah. just having a regular conversation about, you know, Tom. <laughs> and and um, it was just, it, it was unbelievably. I met Harlan Coben. I mean, big names. Um, uh, Ann Cleves, I just, I, I do it just for that, you know, just for the hospitality suite. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a tremendous amount of work to pull off that conference. I mean, it's the largest mystery conference in the world. Um, and as you said, you know, one got shut down, um, uh, or, you know, there's another one that, um, you know, they've been, can't, it was tough. This year we met and it was an incredibly successful one in Minneapolis. Yes, it was. Um, and you must be so proud, but I mean, just from the point of view of the community, thank you for your service and for what you're doing. Cause I love that it lights you up and that you're so excited, but I don't want anyone to think <laughs> it's an easy thing or for the faint of heart. It's, no, a, it's lot not, of <laughs> it a lot of work. It's a lot of work. But like I said, I had 15 people, 15 people beneath my wings. Yeah. And so it was an easy flight from that. These were, uh, they were unbelievable. And yeah. so the, from, for five years, they hung together, you know, so I have, they were fantastic. And I think that people have to realize that, that having a BachaCon is an opportunity to showcase their community, to showcase mm -hmm. their authors, and to meet people from around the world. Mm -hmm. And uh, the work is based fast in exchange for the benefits of the networking and the, just the camaraderie and the, uh, the free books. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes. Um, and you're so right about the networking, uh, you know, do that early when, as soon as you think. And, and I think sometimes that has a terrible connotation for people, but it's just meeting other people and building your community and learning and sharing and celebrating. It's not icky, um, you know, and giving back so that when it's your turn, the community's there for you as well. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's a great community for sure. That's right. And next year it's going to be in Sandy, beautiful San Diego. Beautiful San Diego. It's, uh, yeah. People are already registering and, and um, signing up for the hotel. We, 
and the uh, chair, her name is Kim Keyline, is a, is planning a marvelous, marvelous uh, event. So I'm hoping yeah. that your listeners will all take a look at the website and say, "Yeah, I'm going." I'm going. Yeah. And it's late August next year, so it's... it's August, you know. starts on August 30th, yeah. and it ends that following Sunday, yeah. Yeah. But yeah. there's well, a lot of special events going to happen, and and Kim is a aficionado of uh, Nancy Drew. She has, she's a historian. They do, uh, they have this collection of unbelievable contracts from the authors from her, uh, because there's been three authors, which I did not know. Wow. Yeah, so it's yeah. really... Yeah. Well, and Kim, some folks in Sisters in Crime who are doing write-ins during Nano will know her because she's been leading some of the Nano um, write-ins as right. well. So she's she's another member of the community who does a lot in a lot of different places. You know. Right. Yeah. Well, thank you for a really wonderful conversation and for all you do for Bouchercon and for writing such wonderful books. Thank you for having me, and I encourage all your listeners to just hang in there. All of yeah. writers who have not yet risen to the uh, publishing area yet, don't stop. Just keep going. Yeah. Writers write. Yeah. And just remember that. Writers write. And for those of you who, you know, who are out there, just be open to the stories. I think just be open to stories. Be open to people. And enjoy your community. And, and I adore Sisters in Crime for that reason. Thank you. That reason Thank alone. You. Yes. Yeah. Well, and you were a huge part of a chapter. I mean, it's, it's, it is, it's a, it's a wonderful community. Um, and as is the genre. So thank you so much, Ray. Thank you. Thank you for being with us today. Sisters in Crime is about community. We were founded to advocate for women crime writers, and we continue that mission by fighting for equity in the crime writing community. Sisters in Crime is an international, inclusive organization for all who write and love crime fiction, mystery, thrillers, and suspense. Join us at sistersincrime.org and make sure you subscribe to this podcast.